The Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast is sponsored by Beer Edge. I'm Andy Crouch, the co-founder of Beer Edge, along with my partner and your podcast host, John Hall. John and I work hard to bring you fresh and insightful content related to the ever-changing world of craft beer. We're passionate about beer and independent journalism. If you're interested in supporting Beer Edge, visit our website, beeredge.com, which is updated regularly with new content, interviews, and articles. Please also consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your episodes. You can also subscribe to the Beer Edge newsletter on our website. Is there anyone you think that we should be talking to? Please drop us a line at andy at beeredge.com with your thoughts. And as always, thanks for your support. This is John Hall. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. This week, I'm talking with Brianne Allen of Notch Brewing, and more in a moment. But first, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is produced by Beer Edge. Check out BeerEdge.com for articles, podcasts, and to subscribe to the newsletter written by myself and Andy Crouch. Also, be sure to follow Beer Edge on social media at The Beer Edge. And beer festivals have gone virtual this year. If you're looking to drink and support a good cause, check out the Denver Rare Beer Tasting 12, taking place the weekend of September 25th through the 27th. Hosted by Pints for Prostates, the festival is a live online event with eight hours of content spread across three days, including panels on beer topics, meet and greets with luminaries of the craft beer world, videos from breweries around the country, and virtual bottle shares. Check out pintsforprostates.org for more information and to get tickets. So I love a good conversation over beer, and these days it's hard to do it in person, but it's alive and well online. And one person I can always count on to get the brain cells working and to challenge the notions of beer is Brianne Allen. She's the production manager at Notch Brewing in Salem, Massachusetts. She's worked at the brewery for three years or a little bit more uh, and handles a variety of roles and has been instrumental in getting some of the more beloved and esoteric lager projects off the ground and into production. She's got a love of historical tradition of styles, technical knowledge, and worldly travels, and also revived the Pink Boots Society chapter in Massachusetts a few years ago. And we get into all of that and more in this conversation that bounces around topics quickly. She spoke to me from Notch, and I wanted to start off on a positive note. Here's our conversation. Being involved in so many different aspects of the brewery life right now uh, and facets of the brewery, I'm, I'm really curious as to, like, what are you excited about right now? Like, what what gets you excited to go to work? Well, so Lisa Allen hinted on it a little bit. Um, on the show a, a couple of weeks the, ago. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, from Heater Allen, she was saying how there's a lot of brands that we make that are really specialty loggers in our minds that were never meant to be in cans. And my personal opinion is just like, I hate beer in cans. I think it's like, piece of trash and i just hate it i would take a bottle of beer any day over a can i just hate it but how does that go over when you bring those up in the meetings in the uh you know in the suggestion box there well it went over very well we just bought a bottling line wow yeah this week so which i can talk about um soon but but yeah so all of these beers are going into cans which is fine they they taste great it's just my personal opinion i just don't like cans um there's something like romantic about drinking beer out of a bottle to me it's personal opinion but so there's a lot of these specialty beers that we're putting in cans that we never thought would ever go in cans and it's just really fun to see them you know uh they get a label so they kind of become their own identity and that's really fun to watch it it, it does seem odd to me that and, and, and I'll preface this by saying I was drinking an Oktoberfest last night uh, out of a 12 ounce bottle and I was just drinking it straight from the bottle and I and I realized that holding the the neck between my uh, uh, forefinger and my, and my middle finger uh, and sort of tilting it back that I missed that sensation and I was very conscious of it of like wow I haven't mm-hmm. done this in quite a while uh, and there, there's something fun about that um, but I often don't hear many 
brewers or brewery employees these days, especially at smaller craft brewers like you guys are, um, talk about bottles. Um, Yeah, I mean, we're all, we all know it's like environmentally friendly, cheaper, it's faster, it's easier. Cans, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, everything you hear about cans is just better. But my, I just would rather drink something out of a bottle. It just feels right. And I think it tastes better, but that's just me. But uh, how so? I don't know. I guess it just, maybe you can kind of relate memories back to when you first started drinking beer when everything was in bottles and things were easier. But it's hard to put pinpoint an exact reason why. It's just more stable. I feel like cans, I'm like crushing it as I drink it. You can always tell which one's mine because I have a huge thumbprint inside of it. It's just, <laughs> I just start squeezing it for some reason. But So at a party, you don't need to write your name on a Sharpie on the side of it. Yeah. Right. And we all have different things like... Uh, I'll have someone will like turn the tab to the left. You'll know that's there. Someone takes it completely off. You know, that one's there. Mine has a thumbprint in the side. And so everyone has like their own way of dealing with the can situation. But, but all right. So I don't know. You, you have some sway at, at, at the brewery of a, a good amount of sway at, 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 at the brewery. Um, mm-hmm. When you're writing in the suggestion box and saying we should be bottling our beers, uh, it's one thing to simply say, Hey, this is, this is, a romantic part of beer or this is a fun part of heritage it's another thing to actually look at the dollars and cents of it all uh, and say yeah we should actually you know go back to to, to selling bottles um i imagine that there's got to be some challenges ahead yeah i mean we're not going to start bottling every single lager that comes out of here it's definitely a specialty situation we honestly got it specifically for the pitch line barrel project that we're doing. I don't want to talk about like that. I, yeah. I can't wait. But um, obviously, like like I was saying, I feel like the cans cheapen the product a little bit. And it would totally like break our hearts to put that much effort and energy into a beer and just be like, one, we only get three barrels of it each time it, after like five to six months of production. And then we just stick it in a can. It's just like, it just like makes me cringe. I would never see that beer. You're not going to see Pilsner or Kelp putting their barrel-aged um, pitch line lagers in a can. Obviously, they can everything now, but they, those aren't the ones that go into the barrels. I don't know. I just I, It would break my heart if pitch line pills went into a can. But also, the bottles will give us... Um, so, like, we made Hefeweizen and people were complaining that like the head retention was kind of off because the carbonation wasn't as high as people are used to. And our caps can handle three volumes of carbonation. Obviously the cans cannot. So the cans just taste different than the draft. And that's something that we can't control and it just sucks. So if we could put the heft into the bottles with three volumes of carbonation and have that experience, like, traditionally. Plus a little residual yeast, yeah. Right, right, right. And um, uh, same thing with maybe the Berliner Weiss. So it would just be maybe a couple things here or there. So you you referenced the pitch-lined lager, and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Chris was on, Chris Loring was on Steal This Beer a couple weeks ago, uh, and we got into a a little bit there, but I I don't presume that everybody who listens to that show also listens to this show. Tell me about that, because I, I, I started talking to you all about this, I think, more than a year or so ago and was super excited mm-hmm. by it. And it's finally coming to fruition. So I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, from your perspective, what it is and, and, and how it's come about. Sure. So I started working here a little over three years ago. And there was a different production manager here at the time. And I just remember one of the first conversations I had a beer after work and Chris was like, you know, all I want to do is make this pitch line barrel aged uh, Pilsners. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And so he explains it to me and starts sending me these articles. And he's like, I've been wanting to do this forever. I just haven't had time. He was like, maybe if you have time, you can start researching like how we can start doing this. And uh, I researched for two years, basically going back and forth with Evan Rail, um, who's over in the Czech Republic, sure, about where writer. we could get, yeah, where we could get pitch. And he asked so many people for us, and everyone was like, "No, it's very hush hush. Like we're not telling you." 
Uh, the closest thing I got to was like a camping website where you can get pitched to like line the inside of canteens, but they were selling them in like one kilogram increments. And that would have, uh, I think, evened out to be around like $5,000 for like, you know, 10 pounds or something. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and I even emailed them being like, hey, can I get like 50 pounds of this? And they emailed me back being like, no, we decided to stop making it, and we would never be able to do that anyways. And I was like, God, that was like the closest I got. Um, and then so we put a lot of our loggers in Stitchfast, uh, which is the German gravity suspense cast. Mm-hmm. And we have this guy who's like super secret down in Berwick, Pennsylvania. And um, yeah, I was fucking up the corks because I wasn't filling them correctly, so I had to email him and asked for more and he totally vetted me out and he's like who the hell are you i can't believe you're doing this wrong i only have a certain amount of these i'm the only one that has these and i was like i'm sorry and um i think we did name check him on 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 steal this beer and and talk about his liberation of uh, some of these things from uh, from some of the old paps breweries tom clark fucking legend And so the I, story he told me was it sort of seemed like an Indiana Jones kind of thing. Of, yeah, so I'm I'm mm-hmm. walking through the decommissioned brewery and I'm opening oh up doors God. and I'm going through and finding boxes and yeah. you have no idea. It's like a maze of like a museum of different brewing equipment, but it's just like lost in time. So insane. But so obviously he's like, you silly girl, like you don't know what you're doing. So I was like, Chris, can you talk to this guy? Because, like, he will not talk to me, and I need these corks to make these fish fast. So Chris is like, yeah, yeah, I'll deal with them. And so, like, Chris calls them, and they, like, hit it off, and Chris just offhandedly mentioned, hey, do you know anything about pitch lining barrels? And this guy's like, you need to give me a call right now. And it turns <laughs> out he had some from the original, like, Milwaukee pack brewery and we went down there on like this whole mission to get it and everything he was like yo i have like two barrels and this pitch bring brienne down like i'll give them to you and show you how to use it and we were like this guy is gonna be fucking nuts like this is gonna be the weirdest experience we were like totally unprepared about what was gonna happen and then obviously the whole maze of the brewing equipment museums and tom is like the coolest guy i've ever met he like built his entire brew house from scratch yeah and, um, yeah, he showed us how to pitch the barrels, and then he's like, here, it's all yours. He's like, the only stipulation is you have to send me some once it works. And so we were really nervous that when we tasted the beers a couple months later that maybe they'd be oxidized or sour. Maybe we didn't pitch them right. I mean, there's really no handbook on how to do that. But uh, they came out beautifully, and so I'm trying to schedule a – a trip in a couple of weeks to bring him down some because he still hasn't tasted it, even though we released it a couple of months ago. But we have a new one coming out in two weeks. So pitch, it's like a waxy substance, right? Yeah. So it's like a mixture of paraffin, resin, and then there's another main ingredient that I can't think of off the top of my head. But from my research, like every brewery back in the day had their own recipe of how to make it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, they were getting like resin and pine pitch from like forests down in North Carolina. Yeah. And then like the paraffin would come from India and then that other ingredient would come, they would like mix it themselves and like some people confuse it with tar and, and some people put like eucalyptus in it. It's very bizarre. And so we, for an herbal quality for, you know, for a spa day. Yeah. Right. Or maybe at first when we, we heard that we were like, maybe that's the weird taste that it's imparting, but um, I forget what brewery did it, but it's, I don't think it's very common. But uh, so we just got the pitch from the original Paps facility. And I mean, when you smell it and heat it up, the I think the boiling point is like 325 degrees or something. And you but want to keep it less than that, right? Because you want it like pliable, but not. Bubbling. Right. Well, you want it to be liquid, but you also don't want it boiling because it creates air bubbles, and then you could get like an inconsistent coating on the inside. So you need the inside of the barrel and the the pitch to be the same exact temperature. So, like wax, it's not you know congealing in certain places when you're rolling it around. Have you seen the um, the videos from uh, Pilsner Kell when they're doing the huge barrel? Yeah. And they do like the whole dry. I forget it. <laughs> 
yeah, the dry steam inside and it totally like blows out and it looks super dangerous. Yeah. Well, we, we were watching those beforehand and I was like, someone's going to get so hurt during this because we have no idea. But um, the barrels are rated uh, for a certain type of pressure. So uh, we didn't get, we didn't have dry steam. So we kind of heat up the inside with like this heat gun we got from Home Depot and then heated up the pitch and then we rolled it around in the parking lot, like praying to God that it didn't just congeal in one spot. But they've been pretty consistent uh, with the coating and the beers aren't oxidized or sour. So I, I think we're doing something right. There's got to be some fun. I mean, you're talking about the romanticism of bottles before, though, but there has to be something similar to going back to an old process that mm-hmm. has largely just been forgotten and rendered obsolete just because of modern technology. But bringing that back to the brew house and then being mm-hmm. able to tell that story, is it is it similar? Oh, totally, especially since it took us so long to figure it out um, and find the pitch in general. And I think everyone we've told it about is like equally excited uh, as we were to even try it because they're just like, no one is doing this, you know. And uh, so we were so pumped about it that we got, we took a trip to Czech Republic this past February and we scheduled an appointment and a tour with um, Brewmaster Berka and their pitch barrel facility manager. And they like took us around their facility and showed us how to pitch the barrels and they showed us what pitch they have. And they still have the same pitch. So they have like hundreds of years ago, they literally stockpiled it in this little garage that's on site and it's so insane and they were just like yeah this is how we do it like so easy we do it all the time and they're like we even pitch line uh wooden pint glasses and we sell them in the in the tasting room if you want one <laughs> what and they were just like yeah if you want any just let us know Wait, I, I, were they treating you guys like like sort of like a novelty kind of thing because i imagine when people go they want to go into the cellars and they want to drink directly off of the you know the old barrels and uh you know, they, there's there's certain historical things that go there i can't imagine that the you know the pitch barrel supervisor uh gets a lot of attention oh he was totally blindsided i guess we <laughs> we signed up for like a like a private tour and then when we were like yeah 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 like the tour and everything um but we want to cool 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 yeah history blah 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 yeah sure 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 where's your pitch guy yeah and shit whatever where's the barrel facility and they were like really they really were taken aback because i guess no one asks about that and so when they took us out there they were just like we don't ever bring anybody out here they were like the only time people come here is like when we're repitching the barrels once a year and it's like a whole thing i guess they bring like groups of private tours out to watch all of the barrel masters kind of do that um play with blow torches yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. hey watch us play Um, with fire yeah it's so funny because when you get to the barrel facility they have like these billboards all around it like with pictures of the past and like why they do it and stuff like that and then decommissioned barrels that are like as large as a house just laying in the fields and and then they just have this huge cauldron full of pitch with just like a little layer over it, like um, like a piece of metal just like kind of over the top. And they opened it up and they're like, yeah, this is like where we heat it up. And it's just, they're so excited about it because they just seem like they never talk about it to anybody. It's such a nonchalant thing for them. It's such a, a an interesting thing because obviously I talk about loggers a lot on the show because I, I like them and I think that they're you know uh, it's a fascinating process and well made ones are uh, a, a true testament of brewing uh, education and brewing uh, passion. Um, we see a lot of breweries getting into loggers these days um, and adding it to their already existing hazy IPA port portfolio. And in some cases, mm-hmm. you know, they're 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 sort of like screwing around with history a little bit, as opposed to, you know, properly studying it. And I'm 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 painting with a very broad brush, obviously. But yeah, you're you're opinionated. You 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 know like to you know call people out on stuff. What what's a frustration that you have when you see, you know, people who aren't taking 
lager history seriously when they're making it. It's funny you say that because my fiance always tells me my worst or my biggest flaw is that I'm too righteous <laughs> <laughs> about like brewing styles and stuff like that. But at the same time, I can be like super opinionated about something, but like who am I to like tell people they're doing it wrong? You know, I wasn't back that back in history like making these things it's not really offending me personally but i do think they're doing uh, a disservice to the consumer more so than the style there's obviously a certain amount of respect that we as lager brewers at notch pay um to history but you know you can't force like other brewers to give a shit i guess and it's just it's frustrating but whatever if we were all making like these beautiful czech style pilsners then like we wouldn't be known for making good ones you know i don't know it's really tough to talk about without just being like everyone is just like making random shit and not taking the time to actually learn about it but who's going around telling people they have to yeah no that and, and that's sort of the the current state of and the trend of American breweries and beers over the last couple of years and last couple of decades is that we've gotten away from stringent styles Mm -hmm. as it were. Um, Is that, I don't know. Do styles still matter? Well, so the reason it makes me so upset is just like, I'm like out there getting like scholarships and certificates from like brewing schools and everything. Chris and I are going on trips and we're like doing everything we possibly can to make sure that we're doing like this style justice. And I guess it's just a little kind of like hurts my feelings when people come out with a similar style that's not at all what it's supposed to be, especially if it's a hype brewery and all of a sudden they're known as like, oh my God, this brewery has the best Pilsner, the best Czech Pilsner ever. It's like the first Pilsner they've ever made. And they just put, like, zero work into it. And it's just, like, we're over here, like, trying so fucking hard. And it's just, like, it's just annoying sometimes. You know what I mean? You mentioned um, getting certificates, continuing education. Um, Mm -hmm. That's obviously something that you've put really front and center in your career is continual advancement. And not just for you, but also uh, through Pink Boots. And Definitely. I, I, I always love when I talk to brewers who, you know, aren't just settling for, you know, oh, yeah, I passed a course and I opened up a place and who has time these days and mm-hmm. making the time, I think, you know, shows over time uh, of, 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 of a continuation. Um, really? What do you think is the current, you know, state of education in, in, in continuing education in beer? And I mean, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. We obviously value education super highly here at Notch. Um, Chris gives um, all of us like an educational stipend every year so that we can go out and use it towards, you know, whatever education we deem fit at that time. Um, I Not only that, I win scholarships from random corporations to uh, go do that as well, so... I've been racking them up for the past, like, three years. It's been really fun. All, and, all in the same arena, or are you trying to diversify knowledge? So I've been trying to kind of diversify it, but, like, right now it's all very, like, technical and, like, brewing. Um, like, very equipment-based and, like, historical kind of raw materials and, like, just how everything very science-based i guess you could say okay uh but i've also been like signing up for like digital digital literacy classes and to help with you know creating a really cognitive um like seller sheet or just a way to catalog all of our information and data because we don't have a lab here so it's just nice to be able to see everything perfectly so that class is really fun uh, we've, I've also been trying to sign up for like leadership and women's management programs. And that's one of the scholarships I have right now available for Pink Boots members. It's like this um, five or five to 10 week 
course at Cornell of, of how to become a successful woman uh, in leadership. And it's just everything that we can use um, to make us better. And I love sharing that with the girls in Pink Boots because, like, they need this too, and they didn't even know that they could take these kinds of classes, you know? There's also, like, a bunch of classes at UVM that do, like, beer marketing and, like, beer sales, like, specifically how to make a, like, high revenue in your tap room. And they just have all these really cool classes designed specifically for craft beer uh, industry members. And I just feel like no one's really taking advantage of it. But Is that something... We've had conversations on this show and certainly uh, in the past, though, of um, the disparity of diversity and inclusion in the beer industry and that it has been a very you know white male dominated industry. And uh, conversations really sort of started to bubble over in the last couple of years about you know, more women in brewing and then, uh, you know, certainly more people of color uh, in, in brewing and, and, and having as much, you know, d- d- diversity uh, or having more diversity um you know, in brewing businesses, um, mm-hmm. those conversations, especially for women in the industry, and you're talking about leadership programs and everything, have been happening certainly through the Brewers Association um, and in other places. You know, for for the better part of five years now, let's say on on mm-hmm. really on the on on the for on the front burner, as it were. Has there been a noticeable change, or because it sounded like you you were still saying that like you're still sort of introducing members of pink boots that these programs exist. Like I, I'm curious, like if I'm just living in a media bubble where, you know, yeah, people are talking about it. Like is, is that reality or. Right. Well, I think a lot of people don't even know that these classes exist, whether you're, it doesn't matter what gender you are. I just think nobody knows, but also they're not giving me, I'm fortunate enough to work for a company that cares about education. Um, so it's just nice to be able to give back to girls who may not have that opportunity. Um, I have seen a dramatic change in the amount of women in the beer industry since we started Pink Boots. We actually became the largest chapter in the world with uh, around 200 members last year, wow. which was insane. And yeah. I have like stats and everything that I could show you later. And also, like we were talking about earlier, like the majority of the uh, conversations even you've been having the past couple of months have all been women and you didn't even notice. Like, and so like we were saying before, is it maybe not that taboo anymore? Cause there's so many women. And even if they're behind the scenes, they're still the ones running the breweries. <laughs> there may not be all brewers, but like they're creating their owners and the event planners and managers. And they're the ones like running everything really smoothly. And this 200 in Massachusetts just signed up like in one year. I can't even imagine if I actually forced them all to sign up. Like, I wish we had the data, you know, I know the BA is probably going to try and come out with something this year saying like what the diversity rates actually are and stuff. But I think there are more women in the industry than we let on. And I think giving them the voice like you have been doing has been really like showing that like this isn't, these aren't just a couple of women that I found that will talk about it. This, like I, you said, I didn't even realize that I was interviewing just women. It's totally crazy. And I think that's really cool. It shouldn't be like people trying to interview women. It's just come like, oh, who, who's a cool brewer I want to talk to? And they just happen to be female. Yeah. And I think there's more of them these days than people think. So I, I got a little ahead of myself though with the question because uh, you know, obviously, uh, well, no, 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 you're 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 running the Pink Boots chapter, um, right, right, in in and it's just Massachusetts. The one that I run is just Massachusetts. Okay, so for those who aren't familiar with Pink Boots, can can you give us just a quick background of yeah, it? Yeah, so it's uh, just a society nonprofit that we raise money um, to provide scholarships for women to further their careers, and so we've given uh, almost in the past three years maybe twenty scholarships to women of Boston. And I can tell you, like, 100% that the majority of those girls have gotten raises or moved to a company and gotten promotions, like, just because they went to those uh, educational 
opportunities. It's absolutely amazing. I get emails from girls constantly just saying, like, you changed my life. Thank you so much for, like, letting me go to school. Like, I never thought. And they all think they don't deserve it, one, because no one's, you know, talking to them at their brewery being like, hey, you know what? Like, you could totally do this, and we believe in you. And no one's getting that. So I feel like I finally provided some type of platform for women to realize that they deserve to like go to these schools and they're just as deserving and uh, experiences like the male counterparts in the brewery. And I'm just, re- it's really exciting to like see what they can accomplish once someone fucking tells them that because they never hear it. So that's something though, that obviously you're the brewery that you work at, uh, that the ownership cares about and that it does seem like it's something that has to come top down as it were. Mm-hmm. So for, Definitely. so for, 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 for brewery owners, um, and then I guess also for, you know, consumers to, to be thinking about this as well. Like, where do you start, you know, to, you know, to, to encourage you know, the, 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 these types of things to, to, to happen more and to, you know, really just become commonplace and not be something that, you know, like, Oh, we're surprised to find out about all of this. Where, right. Where should those conversations I mean, start? such a loaded question isn't it because right well like, i'm here right now is, I know, thanks um but yeah right now <laughs> times are so different that i feel like no one's even thinking about this shit right now i mean who has time we're all just trying to you know keep our businesses going but if we were talking about this before covid um i've never been a brewery owner so i'm not really sure I used to work in a brewery that Right, but you have but you have the ear of a brewery owner where you say like, "Hey, I think we should bottle beer and it seems to happen." So True. You're, you're well, not so necessarily standing why, against the wall being quiet. Right. I think that's why I started Pink Boots because I was just like, I want all these women to know. Plus I didn't have any friends. So I got to force 200 <laughs> girls to be my friends. But I was just like, you know what? I I'm so fucking lucky to have these people at Notch around me that are constantly like bringing me up and being like, uh, you totally got this. That I was like, I need to, you know, pay it forward and like let all the other women in Massachusetts. And I talked to all the girls in Maine, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Vermont. Like they're always like, I just talked to everybody, all these girls all the time being like, you can fucking do it. Just like, I was like, and I'm going to make it happen. I was like, who told you you couldn't? What do you want to do? People will be like, well, I really wanted to do like a a business course. And I'm like, done. I just bought one and it's yours. And so I just go, I ask every single girl, what do you want? I'll just, I'll get it for you. Or I'm not afraid. I'll like, and a lot of brewery owners don't like me right now because I'll email them and be like, hey, your employee really wants to do this. What are you going to do about it? And then they either say, thanks for letting me know. I had no idea or fuck off. But see, that's the interesting thing, though, that that the culture still exists where somebody feels more confident, you know, telling somebody from outside the organization rather than talking about it inside the organization. Right. That there needs to be an intermediary at this point. Yeah, I have some owners email me and they'll be like, hey, I want to be more inclusive, but like I thought I was. And I'm clearly not. And can you give me some pointers? And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, I honestly don't know how to even start that conversation. But you do. I try. I'm just yeah. like, well, why don't you ask your employees you know, if they want to be part of stuff or, like, what they're thinking? Just ask them what they're thinking. I don't know what they're thinking. And they'll be like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, well, good luck with that. Like, I don't. They're like asking me how to like rebrand their equity and diversity goals, but they're not asking the people that work for them. Yeah. Like, I can't just like write the book on. I mean, at Notch, we have women in leadership roles, and we are in charge of like hiring people, and so we just happen to hire like people we we feel comfortable with, and if that's. Um, a guy or a girl, like it's up to us. And I think that Notch is known as having a lot of women on staff. And it's just, I think that we give them more of benefit of the doubt than like say a, a male counterpart would. Sure. But 
But I, <laughs> I don't know. I can't say to a brewery, hey, you should hire more women because they come back to me like, well, none of them apply. And I'm like, then go out and find them. I'm like, if you really give a shit, then go out and look. Yeah. And that and that's sort of the thing is. I, and I've had some conversations recently, you know, where, you know, folks have said, oh, we haven't had, you know, people apply to this type of thing. And I think right. the age of, you know, the brewing personnel uh, has changed so much where, you know, 30 years ago it was, you know, the, the geeks were seeking out the geeks. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I want to wash kegs until I can become a brewmaster, like that kind of thing. You know, and, and, right. and these days it, it, it's still very much the same thing. So, you know, if, if a brewery puts up a job post, like they're, they're going to get a, a ton of responses, but it's still just going to be the same people that it's always been as opposed to, you know, going out and trying to you know, actively recruit from you know, different pools to bring new thoughts and new ideas to, to, to definitely. Brewery. And every time I ask people like, well, where are you posting your job posting? Pro brewer. Like, Pro brewer. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, well, no shit. You're which, a which is a fine guys. site. It's a, it's a fine site. <laughs> it um, is. Yeah. But, but look, there's so many other ways. So a lot of breweries now that I've been talking to them, they'll send me their posts. So they get posted on pink boots first. And uh, that's been a really huge help in uh, the Massachusetts beer scene. Of course, um, but I had a brewery once ask me two years ago, they were like, well, how do we get more, how do we hire more women if none of them apply? Like none of them ever apply. And then like two weeks later, they held a brewing competition and, uh, and the fucking trophy was a gold jock strap. And I'm like, oh, are you really wondering why women aren't applying to your brewery? Like it's pretty apparent to me. And they just don't even see it. They don't yeah. see what they're doing. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I was having a conversation with the, the the guy who runs Worst Beer Blog recently, and mm-hmm. you know we were saying that so many of the breweries that get onto that site unintentionally could have avoided it if they actually you know had a woman on staff and was like, hey, what do you think about this? Oh, bad idea. Okay, and then yeah. you know move on. Yeah. Well, that's true, but also I. <laughs> The person who created that gold jock strap was a female marketing team member. Oh. So well, it goes both ways. Color me wrong. Yeah. Things, yeah. So a lot of the things that we see in like the Massachusetts scene, which we don't see a lot, it's very few and far between when like random shit like that happens. But the majority of the time when I, I'll email them straight up and be like, who the fuck did this? You're idiots. And they'll be like, oh shit, it was uh, a woman on our team. It's almost always a female which blows my mind like that. We've been conditioned to think that this is like, okay. Well, it's beer. I mean, it was 50 years worth of big brewing advertising that was, you know, misogynistic, uh, at best and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot worse than that. So, uh, anyways, yeah, anyways, <laughs> But so, yeah. so these are the conversations that you have with the owners and, 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 and other folks in the industry, but you're out, you're, you're, uh, a woman of the people, uh, as it were. And, uh, and the, at the, at the brewery itself in pre COVID times, you were interacting with folks a lot. And I remember talking with Chris in the past about you know, people would walk into, to notch and say like, Oh, do you have an IPA? And you know, back when, when, when you didn't have one on offer and, um, you know, people would just turn on their heel and walk right out because they didn't want to hear anything about mm-hmm. loggers. Mm-hmm. You, you're talking to a lot of customers though. And there's usually, you know, some eye rolls that I imagine happen when you turn your back to the taps after being asked a, you know, a, a certain question, where should we consumers be focusing our education on beer right now to become better drinkers, to understand you know, what it is that you all are making and doing a little bit better so that you know, we can actually be a, a more productive part of this, uh, you know, this movement, this industry without, you know, right. aside from just you know, forking over our dollars. Yeah. Chris and I were talking about this this morning and we think that, it's really not the consumer's responsibility to have to do that. I think it's the brewer's responsibility to not confuse people. So like, like I can't, I don't want my mother or my friends say go and have um, like some fruited colch somewhere 
and then think that every single Kolsch is going to taste like that from now on. Then they're going to come here and have ours, which is, I mean, we try to make it as traditional as possible, but it's definitely not fruited. And they're going to drink it and be like, oh, this is disgusting. I was expecting it to be fruited. Or someone has a really terrible, a lot of the Pilsners and lagers that I've been tasting from New England are overly hot and overly bitter. And now and aged that, for three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And I know, like, uh, they're trying to branch or make a uh, shrink the gap in between the IPA drinker and the lager drinker, but it's really doing a disservice to people expecting, like, one, either they're going to hate that lager because it's so bitter. And they're not doing the right brewing techniques to, you know, back up that bitterness with, like, a balanced malt um, profile. And so that person's going to be like, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb today and try this Pilsner from this hype brewery. Because, like, I really like their IPAs, so, like, I bet their lagers are good, too. They try it. It's dry as fuck. It's bitter as fuck. And they're like, all right, well, that was my the one and only chance I was going to give that, and it's ruined for me forever and i'm never going to try another one i i find it very funny when you keep referring to hype breweries because in my mind <laughs> notch is that for me and has been you think notch is a hype brewery? well That's so I, nice I, i'm you. well let, let me let me let me rephrase that i'm hyped to go there and i'm hyped to drink the beers that you right. all are making and i understand that i'm you know like a niche inside of a niche inside of a niche um, right. but, it, it, but I'm also not alone. Like I have friends who, you know, feel the same way. And I, and I've gone on the record in my book about, you know, what I think about Notch and, you know, how, you know, that tap room is near brewery perfection. Um, you yeah. know, so it's not, you know, I'm not just you know, saying this cause you're on the show right now. Um, but, but, it, right. but it's interesting though, of how other people can view what your brewery is, uh, in the same way that you're sort of viewing, you know, other breweries in a, I don't know. I guess I'm always saying hype breweries because I don't know how else to describe it. That's the word that beer geeks and beer consumers, that's how they know, how they know the breweries as. So, like, I don't know how else to explain it. Okay. Um, really successful IPA-only factories. Like, I'm much, I think hype breweries <laughs> just easier. You know what I mean? Factory oh. is not necessarily an endearing term. Uh, but yeah, that's fine. Um, it, it, one of the I've been thinking about this a lot recently of when craft started, when microbrews started, uh, there was diversity on tap list. You know, you could set your watch to uh, mm-hmm. a, a brew pub having uh, a, a, a porter, a stout, a pale ale, a hefeweizen, and maybe a blonde ale. You know, and mm-hmm. it was trying to be something for everybody and that sort of continued where you know even if you walk into an ipa hype factory um you know you might see some fruited (laughs) berliners or you know you might see an imperial stout that has i don't know peanut butter in it or something but there's a lot of things in there the breweries like notch and there's a few others that are you know solely lager breweries in the u.s or you know breweries that are focusing on just one style or only in some cases making just one beer mm-hmm. in one breath and thought I would think that that would be super limiting but then on the other hand I think it's also got to be liberating and I'm curious as to for them no no for, for yeah for the brewery that is only focusing on you know one style right. one genre one beer Mm-hmm. Some might see it as limiting, but I, the more I've been thinking about it, it's like it has to be liberating in some ways because you really are following your own path and not just continuously having your head on a swivel saying, you know, well, what are they doing down the street? What are they doing down the street? Sure, sure, sure. Well, if we're talking about IPA specifically, everyone down the street's making the same exact beer. So there's that. Um I mean, I don't think making the same IPA over and over again with a different hop in it and selling it for a ridiculous amount of money is very rewarding. I've talked to a lot of these people that make do that for a living, and they all seem a little broken. And they'll straight up say to me that they're like, 
I'll talk to them at festivals and everything, and they'll be like, yeah, my soul dies every time I dump a bag of cereal into a fermenter. <laughs> like, I go home and, like, cry myself to sleep and think about how, like, I sold my soul to the devil. And they, like, straight up say that to me. Or, like, we were talking about graining in earlier. They're talking, they have a couple guests on. The, that the podcast, like, you know yeah. What? Yeah, I don't even drink my beer anymore because, one, it's the same shit every day. And two, it's like undrinkable. You can't have, you can't sit down and just like share a beer, a couple beers with friends and have it be an imperial IPA that's like hot to shit. I mean, I know I can't, but they like they'll say straight up, like I don't even drink our beers. I'm have no, I'm not getting any rewarding aspects or fulfillment from doing this. And I'm not saying that every IPA brewery, because obviously the money is probably pretty rewarding. Yeah. But um, I just like I I. I mean, I live by Instagram likes, on, so yeah. I mean, I'm proud of the beers that I make, and if I made a beer that I didn't like, I'd, I'd probably be really upset. I don't know. I just I don't know how you can make beer you don't like. It's just weird to me. At, at some point, though, because this this is where my my thought has been sort of going with authenticity. Of mm-hmm. at, at at some point. If you are known for the cereal beer or you know, the chocolate syrup beer or you know what what whatever it is that 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 you're making, at some point, the, you know the 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 mob, the crowd, uh, the fans are going to find something else that tickles their fancy, and it's going to be sort of cold and lonely at that point, you know, because if you're only known for I don't know the the, the hype stuff, as mm-hmm. it were. Um, yeah, yeah. I've so, definitely had conversations with uh, those birds, and I mean, the topic of a lot of people are really scared about what the next trend is going to be and what that means for them. And I think people can already see uh, that consumers are starting to slowly move over to the logger side, and I think that scares a lot of people because they haven't, you know, experienced making those. They didn't set up a brewery or a brew house. To make that, so I don't know. I, I, I'm also curious, though, from from the consumer standpoint, because you know I have a lot of non brewing people who listen to to this show, and there are 21 year olds right now uh, who, if mm-hmm. they could go out to the bars, um, you know, their very first brewery experience is going to be hazy lactose or whatever uh, in IPA form, and if it floats your boat, like that, that that's pretty great. There is this intimidation factor that I've been having conversations with 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 younger drinkers, you know, kids half my age at this point who are, Mm -hmm. you know, saying, you know, like, yeah, but like, you know, my grandfather drank lager and that's back when beer was boring. And there's this sort of worry of being seen as uncool or, you know, that it's not like it's going to be beer that tastes like beer. And really? yeah, yeah. And we've obviously seen wow. the, the, the resurgence of, you know, of, of Paps or uh, Gansett, uh, you know, hitting in Brooklyn for dollar cans and pounder cans and like that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, because it was a it was a status symbol more than the, than anything else. But I think for for consumers that are and I, I was just having a conversation with uh, uh, with a with a neighbor kid, um, you know, about that, who is, you know, oh, did uh-huh. you have the latest hazing? I was like, no, I've been drinking you know, Oktoberfest for the last month. Um, and it's clear and it's <laughs> copper and it's beautiful. In and, August. In August. And it's 91 <laughs> degrees. But I, it, there's no rules in 2020. There's no, like, I, I would have in the past said, you know, not until after Labor Day. Um, right. I, I don't care anymore. I've just, yeah. I've, I've just given up for the, for this year. So, okay. uh, you know, so drink what you like when you want to drink it. You know, pumpkin mm-hmm. beers in, in February. Cool. Like it, it doesn't <laughs> matter. We're all wearing sweatpants all the time now anyway. Um, Very true. but all right, but, but, but here's the thing though, if, if somebody's doing a new England beer tour and they're on the younger side of things, <sighs> notches, maybe not on their, their list because you guys aren't doing hype haze. Right, but as you're saying, people are coming around again to you know, rediscovering some of these styles. How do you introduce, you know, the world's most beloved beer style to people who have only been drinking hazy IPAs from from the beginning of their drinking careers? Well, so I don't really have any interaction. I mean, obviously, 
which I'm sure goes for you too. A lot of us in the industry kind of surround ourselves with people and things that have to do with our industry. So I, I think it's, we're really kind of blind to that area. Um, but the front of house people that we have at Notch, they're really good at, you know, directing people towards the loggers because they love them so much. So they'll not saying like straight up lie to somebody, but if someone's like, <laughs> I only drink IPAs, they'll be like, great, try this. And they'll give them, you know, standard, our 12 Plato Czech style pale lager. And the person will be like, wow, super hoppy. Love it. What is it? And they'll be like, that's a fucking Pilsner. And the person will be like, what? I want like liters and liters of that. And then they like turn. It's amazing how well our bartenders like treat these customers. I mean, and they're so used to obviously Salem, October, the witches, whatever. We get a huge surge of tourists and like that's they have to deal with that like hundreds of times a day but they're so good at just being like wow ipa is so cool try this and the person loves it and so they're really good at turning people over i am uh, not a people person as you can tell i swear a lot and i get way too into it and energetic and passionate and so i don't think i'd be able to uh to sway an IPA drinker over to lager as well as they do, but they do a really good job, um, especially with our Rauk beers. They get every single person who walks in the door, they're just like, you look like you need a smoked beer, and they'll like sell out of that shit like it's nothing, and it's amazing to me. I don't know how they do it. Well, you're speaking my language. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's where I live these days. Uh, yeah, that, well, we have a smoke hellas coming out in a couple of weeks. I I, I heard about, I heard about that. I'm going to have to get it on my uh, my other podcast, which is by far the most popular podcast out of the uh, 41 that I'm currently doing. Well, it's the doing. most popular beer style, so that makes <laughs> by, sense. By far, Bart, Bart Watson agrees. <laughs> um, before I let you go, I'm I'm curious as to we were talking about the romanticism of bottles. Um, mm-hmm. What else do you think we've lost? over time that is soothing about beer or, you know, romantic, I guess is the word that I could use again, but, you know, a, 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 a tradition that we've sort of put by the wayside uh, for the sake of progress, that as we're all sort of slowing down a little bit and people are thinking about fall and winter again and maybe being back indoors uh, to avoid COVID, um, mm-hmm. What would you like to see come back to beer? Come back? Oh, I was going to go a completely different direction with that. Okay. I thought you were going to ask me, what kind, what piece of history of beer like, do we think we lost? What do I well, want to well, come no, back? Well, yeah, and we can talk about history, too. I mean, what, what piece of history would you like to see come back? Well, I mean, like today, we released our Hootenanny uh, Berliner Weiss-style um, beer, and it just, you know, there's three different ways to make Berliner and but if it if you don't make it in Berlin then you can't call it that same with like Kolsch and Pilsner obviously no one gives a shit anymore and they call it whatever they want yeah and everyone's pouring you know uh fruit into Berliners now and it's ruining (laughs) ruining the name forever and we'll probably never get that back no but um we obviously are making it the modern style by uh lactic acid and additions into the kettle and overnight souring it would be we always dream about you know doing the bottle condition brett version um just to be as you know as traditional as we can but we're really slowly maybe not as slow as others but we're trying to make everything as traditional to the tea as possible especially with the czech beers like we use all authentic czech malt we're getting them you know uh, coming over from the Czech Republic, imported. They have, like, the seal of approval from the embassy. Like, we have all the same equipment that you would find in a Czech brewery that makes the same beers. And so that's really fun. Um, German beers are slightly different, but uh, obviously we're trying to get all our Czech ducks in a row before we can move on to something else. But it's just really fun to be able to say, like, you know, this is exactly the way that this used to be made, and, like, we figured it we figured it out. We took the time to, like, get all the equipment necessary to do that. And I think uh, Berliner is one of those styles that Americans have completely destroyed. A hundred percent. 
well, like, when's the next time you're ever going to have a classic Berliner Weiss unless you go to Germany? Well, I mean... Or Goza, for that matter. Yeah, and it's still relatively tough to find both of those in Germany as well, like, in the traditional sense. Like, there's a handful of breweries, but still not many. Like, it's... Right. Like, it was traditionally made for, like, fucking children that, that would drink it out with of straws. And so, like, here we're like, that's hilarious. And so we, like, we're giving everybody straws, usually, like, glass straws whenever we released our Berliner Weiss, because we were like, how funny would it be if we all drank this out of straws? And it's just, like, the stories like that that kind of get, like, lost. Like, children used to drink this. Like, it's hilarious. You, and Yeah. Maybe people interpreted it the wrong way, and they're like, maybe if I make this taste like juice or candy, it's kind of like <laughs> what kids drink. No, I don't know. But. It, 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 you open the this line of questioning. Uh, should kids be allowed in breweries? Uh, if they're cool, if they're cool, man, they can do whatever they want. We have our brewer Phil. He brings his six year old in. He was like teaching me about uh, CO two the other day, and then he was watching us take the beer out of the pitch line barrels, and he was just like, "Brian, did you know that gravity is the way you dispense beer out of barrels?" And I'm like. Who the hell is teaching this kid this shit? It's awesome. <laughs> Obviously, not all kids are going to care. Um, and he's been our, our resident non-alcoholic beer taster for the past couple of months, which has been super helpful. Yeah, so you guys launched um, a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah, we have two, actually. Uh, our, we changed our Kolsch-style ale into non-alcoholic, and we changed our Dog and Pony Show uh, Session IPA into non-alcoholic. Was that something that people were asking for? I think we just kind of wanted to see since Notch is, you know, session beer. We're like, well, let's push the limits and see, like, how session we can actually make it. It's very in our line. It's like, let's, because we're kind of, you know, we kind of figured out how to make all the styles that we like and are proud of. So we're like, what's something we don't know how to do? And, like, let's see how much we can learn about it. And I want to make the best one now. And so, like, we've been working on this for like a year now and we finally have some in kegs that we're kind of beta testing so it's been fun to watch uh any in pitch line barrels no <laughs> no <laughs> no 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 so the <laughs> the process for the na it's not like an enzyme or recipe fermentation or anything it's actually like a process of filtration where you literally just remove the alcohol but when that happens, it also takes out the water. So you get like this sour gut looking like syrupy mess. And it actually reduces like say you have a 15 gallon keg. It goes down, reduces it to five gallons. And then you introduce the water during dispense later on. And the alcohol, because the alcohol removes with the water. So it would pretty much be if we put that shit in the barrel, there'd be no way for us to get it back out. <laughs> I mean, you made it sound cool super idea, appetizing, though. so yeah, I I <laughs> certainly can't wait to try it. Um, <laughs> thanks for thanks for doing this, Dave. This was this 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 was a lot of fun, and I uh, I oh, appreciate you taking the time and uh, for for coming on the show. Oh, of course. I was making a joke to Chris earlier. I was like, I'm going to see if I can get John Hall to laugh today. <laughs> It's not hard. I, you know, I, I generally enjoy talking to people. That's why I do this. So it's, uh, you know, if people are funny and drop in some four letter words, like I'm, I'm still very much a, a, a child who will just, you know, laugh at, you know, anything, but you're, you, know, you told some good jokes and, um, yeah, enjoy your cannonball run down to Tom Clark, uh, to drop off, drop off those loggers. Totally. I hope he's not like, this tastes disgusting, get away from me. But hopefully he's proud of what we did. <laughs> Tom's pretty candid, so yeah, just uh, see if you can make it out unscathed. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's been a pleasure. Same here. That's Brianne Allen of Notch Brewing. My thanks to her for coming on the show. And make sure you go and visit the brewery, get some good lager, and use it as an excuse to have some fun conversations with friends. And speaking of friends, this episode is produced by Beer Edge, a company I started with my pal Andy Crouch. Check out BeerEdge.com for articles, podcasts, and to subscribe to the newsletter written by myself and Andy. And also be sure to follow Beer Edge on social media at The Beer Edge. And beer festivals have gone virtual this year. If you're looking to drink and support a good cause, check out the Denver Rare Beer Tasting 12 taking place the weekend of September 25th through the 27th. 
Hosted by Pines for Prostates, the festival is a live online event with eight hours of content spread across three days, including panels on beer topics, meet and greets with luminaries of the craft beer world, videos from breweries around the country, and virtual bottle shares. Check out pintsforprostates.org for more information and to buy tickets. And I'll be moderating a few panels, so I hope to see you all virtually. And please don't forget to go onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you download and leave a review of this show. If you have questions, suggestions, or guests you'd like to hear, you can email me at johnhall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at beeredge.com, or reach out on Twitter at john underscore hall. Also check out Steal This Beer with new episodes every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast with new episodes on the 15th of every month. Nate Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and my thanks to all of you for listening. I'm John Hall, and new episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>